1: Hello, everybody. I'm Richard Harris and I just want to welcome you to the Truth and Liberty Live Call-In Show. It's an honor for me to be with you today. I'm really excited about the show. Uh, I do not have any guests with me today. It's just going to be you and me on a Friday uh, afternoon here on Truth and Liberty. And uh, I just thought I would take uh, today's program and spend some time talking about some current events from a biblical perspective. So, bringing the Word of God to bear on some of the things that we see happening in today's news. And I uh, would like to remind you guys, or in, invite you uh, to call in uh, with your questions and comments. I would absolutely love to hear from you. It's a lot. It's an interactive process, this Truth and Liberty show. So please feel be, feel free to be a part. 719-619-2341 is the number. And uh, you can call in about anything, any questions that are on your mind on this Friday afternoon. It, it doesn't have to be related to the subjects I'm talking about. About. Uh, Bible questions, political questions, whatever's on your mind, I'd love to hear from you today. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, you know, it's uh, its amazing the opportunities that we have here on Truth and Liberty uh, to meet and interact with so many amazing people. Earlier this week, I had on uh, as my guest, Coach Joe Kennedy. And if you didn't get to watch that show, I really encourage you to do that. Coach Joe is the assistant high school football coach in Bremerton High School in Washington, state of Washington, who all he did was go to the middle of the field and take a knee after the game and pray, and he did that for several years until one day somebody was so impressed because not only was his team voluntarily gathering around him, but the, the, the players from the other team decided to come out and he was um, ministering to both teams on a purely voluntary basis. Well, The school principal decided to investigate and one thing led to another. He ended up being suspended and and had to go to court over this and went all the way to the United States Supreme Court twice. Took him eight years, nearly cost him his marriage because of the stress and difficulty. His wife was working in the HR department of the school district so she was caught in the middle but he stood his ground, he held on to his faith in God and knew that he was doing the right thing and ultimately he prevailed. And the Supreme Court ruled in his favor, and I was just so impressed with the story because I think it is—it's a classic—it's a classic, um, uh, it's a classic mm. Bible story, like you know, of standing firm for Christ and for our faith in Him and God showing up and delivering you despite there having to be a difficult trial. It's also a classic American story, a David versus Goliath, uh, uh, one man standing alone fighting for freedom and he ends up winning a case that is going to change the landscape of America's First Amendment precedent in the Supreme Court for years to come. And it was just an awesome show. Be sure that you catch that. Also, if you didn't watch my show with Tim Barton this week on Wednesday, you definitely need to see that one. Uh, Tim and I were talking about all sorts of things uh, uh, in the news today, and uh, it was just one of the best shows uh, I've seen in a long time, so be sure to catch that. But today, what I wanna do is talk about current events. Uh, And I want to hear from you again. The number is 719-619-2341. Before we get into that, let me just share a couple of announcements with you about what's happening here at Andrew Womack Ministries. Uh, First off, I want to remind you about the Women Arise Conference. That is coming up on uh, November 2nd through the 4th, so uh, not very far away at all. Carrie Pickett, Audrey Mack, and Elizabeth Murin are going to be ministering. Now, guys, this one's just for the women, so be sure to get your uh, wives and daughters Daughters to this amazing event because they're going to be encouraged, they're going to be edified, there's going to be revelation from God, I believe, and they won't want to miss it. So, ladies, this will be an awesome event. Sign up at awmi.net. Also, uh, Andrew's got a Gospel Truth Conference coming up. His Atlanta GTC is November 9th, 10th, and 11th at the Gas South Convention Center in the Atlanta area. Andrew, along with one of our favorites here at AWM, Greg Fritz, will be ministering together. Greg is a great minister of the Word. and. Uh, so if you can make it out to that event, you need to do it. It's gonna be awesome. So register at awmi.net, again, a free event. All right, guys, so let's get started here today. I got a question for you. If you're watching, I'd like to know what you think. Uh, is this, is, the, is what's happening in Israel today, is it the beginning of World War III? Are we going to see World War III come out of this conflict? You know, um, The most Jews were killed in a single day since the Holocaust. When Hamas crossed over, it it sent its uh, assassins across the border and murdered and raped and killed innocent civilians, uh, beheading even babies, raping women in the street, murdering children with their parents, taking hostages, you know, over, uh, what was it? Over 1,200 uh, innocent Israelis were, were killed and, uh, or injured that day. And Israel has, ple- has uh, declared war against Hamas and is, is bombing targets inside of Gaza and uh, now Hezbollah is involved. It's pretty clear that these organizations are backed by Iran, a terrorist regime in Iran. Uh, in in Iran and and, uh, funded by them. Iran supplies weapons to them, the organization uh, and all kinds of support. Iran itself is a regime that has pledged to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Hamas pledges to annihilate all Jews, kill all the Jews in Israel and then all Jews around the world. What an incredibly hate-filled, unbelievably uh, evil doctrine, right? And yet here in the United States, you have college campuses with demonstrations in favor of Hamas. It's almost too much to imagine, almost too much to take in. But my question is, is this the beginning of World War III? Because Americans, a dozen or so Americans were killed when Hamas invaded and have others have died in the bombings uh, since then. And the, um, the terrorists, Hamas, Hezbollah and others, have fired rockets and missiles onto American bases and targets in the Middle East. I think over a dozen, 14 different assaults that have resulted in uh, uh, several American soldiers being wounded. The United States has shot down uh, several different missiles coming out of Yemen. And uh, today or yesterday, we learned that the United States has actually conducted an airstrike inside of, I believe it was inside of Syria on a, a missile base. Um, and so is this conflict going to widen? Uh, about three weeks ago, right after the, uh, the Hamas attacks occurred, I had as my guest on the show Frank Gaffney, and he explained how actually uh, China is ultimately the puppet master here, and China is funding everything, and China wants this to widen because China's goal is to usurp the United States as the, the sole global superpower, to destroy and or dominate the United States, to become the, the hegemon in the world. And so they're opening up different fronts. Uh, the first one was in the Ukraine, and the United States has now invested uh, tens of billions of dollars in weapons and other forms of assistance there to the Ukrainians to fight the Russians. And now it seems that China Uh, through Iran and these terrorist organizations is goading the United States into a Middle East war, hoping that there will be multiple fronts so that China will then have an open door to do whatever it wants in the Pacific. Probably the first order of business is to invade Taiwan. After that, possibly the Philippines, who knows. So this uh, this is a startling scenario. And when we look at, the, at, at our president, I'll just say this, many Americans question whether Joe Biden is up to the task. Uh, can you imagine a weaker president to lead us through World War III, <laughs> right? Well, let's look at this from a biblical perspective. Let's take a minute and look at some scriptures here. And I wanna first talk about the role of Israel uh, and the position of Israel in the end times and then also the subject of anti-Semitism. So, um, I talked about Israel, I think it was a week ago on the broadcast and, and taught about Israel's role in end time prophecy. I was not able to cover everything. Of course, it's a massive subject but you know, it's really funny, isn't it, how that Israel is a tiny country. It only has I think 14 million people or something like that, 12 million. And it's a sliver of land, it's, not, it's about the size of New Jersey. And yet, the entire attention of the world is always focused on Israel. You know, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, population-wise, is really not that large. I think it's somewhere between, somewhere around a million people. And yet, the world is focused on this little parcel of land. They don't have huge oil reserves, they don't have huge natural resources, they don't even have huge ports. What is it that captivates the world's attention about Israel and the Arab conflict? Well, I want to say, I don't think there's a natural explanation for it. A lot of people will say, oh, well, Russia wants a warm water port and all this. Well, yeah, that may be true, but they can get that elsewhere. They don't have to go through Israel. Um, there's There's no logical, natural explanation for this phenomenon. Ever since Israel was reborn as a nation, the world has been captivated by it. And I believe it goes back to what God said in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 6, where He said, I have chosen Jerusalem that My name might be there. God has chosen Jerusalem. Specifically, He has chosen Mount Moriah as the mountain where He will dwell. And He authorized the building of the temple, His house there. And Scripture points to Jerusalem as the central focus Of events in the end times. God will bring all things to completion in Israel and in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ will usher in his kingdom on the earth in fullness when he lands on the Mount of Olives and then marches into the temple in Jerusalem and claims his throne as king over all the earth. So the world doesn't even understand this, doesn't even know why that it's captivated, but God wants our attention on Israel for a reason. And so we look at what's happening in this massive war that has broken out in Israel, and all of this risk of, of escalation that's actually seems to be coming to pass now as we've sent carrier strike forces to the Mediterranean and are actually, actually, there's, you know, we're engaging in hot war now. Let me tell you what is, uh, is going to happen according to prophecy. In Zechariah, chapters 12, 13, and 14, there's some important things prophesied, critical things, actually, if you're going to understand the end of the age. What's gonna happen, according to Zechariah, chapter 12, and then in Zechariah 14, is there's going to be an invasion of Israel by a coalition, unknown, unknown number of nations, but the nations of the earth are going to invade Israel. And they're going to ravage it and savagely treat it, and and uh, and God is going to God is going to deliver Israel. Let me read some verses for you, uh, beginning in Zechariah chapter twelve. Let me go there. You know, before I go to Zechariah, though, let me let me pause for a second and say this: all all prophecy. Uh, study of prophecy. How, we have to keep in mind. We must keep in mind always before our eyes Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter twenty-four, verses verse forty-two, verse forty-two, Jesus said, "Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming." You know, uh, I'm going to say this: that I don't think that this is World War Three. And I'm gonna tell you why in just a second, but I could be totally wrong, right? Jesus Christ could come today. He could come tomorrow. We do not know, right? He keeps it vague. He, he tells us enough that we can see the signs and we can discern that it's close. We can discern that it's coming, but we cannot know the day or the hour. We cannot know that level of specificity and it's, it's wrong for us to try. Uh, to, to know that with certainty. But I'm going to tell you right now that I don't think this is the actual end because of some things that that need to happen first. So, in Zechariah chapter 12, Zechariah is the second to last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah says in um, Um, verse number two of that chapter, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment, and his rider with madness, and I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah, and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength, and uh, shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts their God. And he goes on to talk about the victory he's going to give them. If you jump over to 14 for a second, it says, Behold, in verse 1. The day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And it goes on to talk about the coming of the Lord there and what it's going to be, what's going to happen. There's going to be a river of life that flows out uh, from underneath the temple uh, as the Mount of Olives splits in two. It's going to be an incredible and fantastic as the Lord himself descends and lands on the Mount of Olives and goes into the temple this invasion of israel by all nations though as you can see there from zechariah is is at the at the end of the is at the end okay it's at the very end when jesus christ returns to the earth in in one other point here is in zechariah 13 We see the Lord revealing Himself to the Jewish people. They will see Him coming and they will recognize Him. They will know who He is. It says in Zechariah chapter 13, In that day there shall be a fountain. This is such an amazing, glorious, wonderful scripture. A fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. And it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, uh, that his father and his mother that begat him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live. In other words, he's talking about false prophets. And then he goes on to say, um, uh, he goes on to say in this chapter that there will be a mourning and that they will look on him whom they have pierced and so on. So, the, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that we're not quite at these events yet because this stuff happens at the end of the great tribulation period. And what has to happen at the beginning of the great tribulation is, is, I believe, the Antichrist declares a peace, right? He, he causes the nations to enter into a great peace treaty. And we know this uh, from Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9 is talking about the Antichrist. It's really, it's, it's the prophecy of weeks, the 70-week prophecy. And he says that the Antichrist, this is chapter 9, verse 27, Daniel says, the Antichrist will confirm the covenant with many for one week. So, he's talking about a seven-year period there. A week is symbolic of, it means a seven. The literal translation is, shall confirm a covenant with many for a seven. Uh, A seven means a period of seven years. There will be a covenant. Paul the Apostle writing in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3 said, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction will cometh upon them, 1 Thessalonians 5, 3 as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape." Very interesting there. I don't mean for this whole thing today to be about prophecy, but you know that that verse there where he says, as travail upon a woman? Well, Jesus himself in Matthew 24 uh, referred to labor pains. Uh, He he was saying that uh, these things, wars, rumors of wars, uh, earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in diverse places. And then he says, but the end is not yet, For these are uh, the labor pains, okay, is what he said in Matthew chapter 24. I think it's in around verse 15. The, The point is that God compares, he compares the end time tribulations, not just the great tribulation but all of the stuff prophesied in Matthew 24 to the process of giving birth. It's like a woman giving birth. And these things that come on the earth, these difficulties and trials, these are like contractions for a woman. They're they're painful, they're difficult. They come and they're horrible and then they subside. They come and subside, come and subside. And each wave gets more intense than the next, more painful than the next. And as a woman who's giving birth can tell you, the final push, the final contraction before the child is born does not let up. Right? It begins and it stays there until she perseveres and presses through it, and that child is born and escapes that labor, right? And that's how it's going to be for the church, guys. The final contraction, the final push, the final labor pain, I believe it's coming and I believe it's close, right? And it's going to come on the earth when the Antichrist is revealed and establishes his kingdom. Uh, and uh, this peace treaty with Israel, the covenant with many for one week, will be the beginning of the great tribulation period, the final push. All right. So, what I'm trying to tell you today is that it's. I don't think World War III. I don't think the final invasion of Israel, Armageddon. Um, that those those passages I read out of out of Zechariah. You can find that also in Revelation chapter 19 and 20. The final battle. Uh, the Antichrist and his armies, okay, in the land of Israel, in Megiddo, um, that, that's the same thing, I believe, uh, depicted in, Re- in Zechariah 12 and 14 is also depicted in Revelation chapter 19. So, this final battle though is not, I don't think we're quite there yet because at this point in time, uh, there's no temple in Israel and the Antichrist has not been revealed. The One World Government has not been established. Now all of those things could happen very very quickly. All right, so we—I'm not saying it's not close. I think it is close. But you know, Andrew Womack, uh, the Lord has given Andrew three prophetic words, and um, you know the Bible says to test the spirits, and uh, and I have done that. But it's just my personal view that these prophetic words to Andrew are from the Lord, and He has prophesied now three times that I have heard Him personally um, that we are in the middle of an awakening. The first one was that that the Great Awakening, Third Great Awakening has begun. The second word I heard was at the 4th of July, um, on the 4th of July this year at the Summer Family Bible Conference when Andrew gave a word from the Lord, um, basically um, uh, stating that this, this year was the 247th anniversary of the founding of the United States of America, and on the 250th anniversary, so in three years' time, that even, even the ungodly will look around and be amazed at the turnaround and the transformation that has happened to our country, and will have to recognize that it was God. And then the third word that he gave, and I'm summarizing a little bit here, but this word was um, at the Truth and Liberty Conference in September, uh, where he took the platform and gave a message in tongues and then interpreted that that message and said that those people that are in positions today of influence and power uh, in two years' time are not going to be there anymore and we're all going to look around with wonder. And uh, I believe that so I believe that God is doing a great things and that we are in the beginning of an awakening. And so I think that uh, my view, this is just Richard now, that's all it is. I wanna know what your view is today. So, so let me remind you, please call in. I wanna hear your questions, your comments. You can disagree with me, agree with me, I don't care. 719-619-2341 is the number, uh, but my view is that this is not ex- not quite the end, but we are very, very close. And I'm excited actually, because I think there's a great harvest that is underway uh, in numbers and in depth and in quality that we can't even perceive yet. And I'm gonna talk about some of those things if I have time in today's show, all right? So praise the Lord. Um, um, th- that's kind of my view of what's happening in Israel. Now, let me talk about anti-Semitism, which is connected to all this. Uh, Anti-Semitism is an, an incredible thing. It's an unbelievable thing. It's a it's a force, a, a spirit in the earth that that defies explanation. It's an irrational hatred and. Uh, uh, hostility towards Jewish people. It, it is irrational. There's no basis for it. People uh, hate Jewish people for no good reason. They're, and, and, and we have to wonder, you know, why, what is this? What is it? You know, I, there, uh, a couple days ago, I can't recall the name of the university, I think it was a college in New York City. But the students, there, there was a, a large student demonstration in, in favor of Hamas you know, the whole stuff about it being an apartheid and uh, free Palestine and all this stuff. And they actually, the, there were some Jewish students who were so afraid for their own safety because of these crazy pro-Muslim people that they went into the school library and had to lock themselves in there. And the, the pro-Muslim protesters on, this is American soil now, are pounding on the door to get into this college library. Can you imagine how scared those Jewish students must have been? You know, uh, there is an article out um, by the president of Colorado Christian University condemning the failure of many American universities to rein in and control these pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian, pro-terrorist demonstrations that are going on all over the country. Dr. Phil McGraw also wrote a piece uh, that I saw where he's calling out colleges like Harvard and Yale and Stanford and others who are cultivating this mindset, this anti-Israel mindset among their student body. Um, you know, let's remember what happened when the Hamas invaded as, again, was they were, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's difficult to even speak of it as they're beheading babies beheading babies, raping women in the street. One elderly woman was raped so violently that uh, I forget what the doctor said, but it was like, uh, you know, serious damage was done to her. Uh, These people want to kill all Jewish people, right? And, And then you have these American students and others protesting in favor of them. What is this? This is irrational. It's like the Nazis. It's like those Stalinist communists who eradicated Jews. Um, and so the question today, though, is if you look at anti-Semitism, you will see that it is much more common. Now Now, see, his, um, revisionist historians want you to think, oh, it's the right wing that's anti-Semitic. The Nazis were right wing fanaticals. This is not true, not true whatsoever. The Nazis were actually leftists, they were socialists. the, The Nazi stands for the National Socialist Workers' Party. They were socialists, okay? The only difference between them and communists was, that uh, they, the, the state didn't have to own all the property, it just had to control it, and that they were nationalist in the sense that they were racist, pro-Aryan, whereas communists just wanna control the whole world and, and it doesn't have to be racial, okay? But they're both leftists, right? They're both leftists, it, no difference. Muslims are also natural allies, of leftists and communists, okay? We see them working together in droves. We just saw how that Joe Biden's administration has been infiltrated by Iranian spies. Barack Obama in his administration had uh, Muslims, uh, members of the Muslim Brotherhood in very high positions of influence. They had regular access to the White House. Barack Obama himself, his father was a Muslim. What is the affinity Here, here's the thing now, the question I have is why does anti-semitism run so deep in the left? now not all not all liberals are okay because it's a coalition of certain groups but but most anti-semites are on the left side of the political spectrum. Just look at uh, the you know they, they call them the uh, what do they call them now the uh, uh, the four um, folks in Congress right that are all, um, uh, Democrat radicals and Muslim, Keith Ellison, Andre Carson, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, they are all Muslims, they are all Democrats, and none of them would vote in favor of the resolution the other day condemning Hamas. I'm going to pick up on this subject in just a minute and a half. I want to take a little break now, and encourage you guys to call in with your comments and questions. I'm Richard Harris, this is the Truth and Liberty live call in show, it's 719-619-2341. I'd love to hear from you. We'll be back after one and a half minutes to share some information with you. With practical government, you have experts in the fields that are sharing their perspective, wisdom, and experience. It's not available anywhere else in the world. We teach biblical worldview.
0: We're going to teach a Christian heritage of our American government. They're going to learn about the founding fathers. We're teaching the Constitution, how government operates, practical skills, and field study. There's no better place on earth to get equipped than Keras. You know, God's not done with us, He's not done with America, and He's not done with you.
1: So many people come into Practical Government School, and they're scared because it's the mountain of government. But you know what? They
0: come out so strong, and that is so amazing.
2: No matter where you're coming from, the world needs you.
0: Whatever God's calling you to do, you're
1: able to do it.
2: To learn more, visit practicalgovernmentschool.com.
1: All right, we're back here on Truth and Liberty. I'm Richard Harris, and um, I don't have a guest with me today. I just want to take this time to share with you personally, uh, go over some of the events of today from a biblical perspective and just have a conversation with you. And right now we've been talking about Israel again and anti-Semitism. Why is it, why is it that uh, most, Uh, anti-Semitic people are on the left side of the political spectrum. Why are Democrats more anti-Semitic? Why are they more pro-Muslim? I can put it that way too. Either way you look at it, they're more pro-Arab, more pro-Muslim, more anti-Israel than conservatives. What is this? Okay, I'm going to give you three reasons. The first reason is uh, just basically it's the spirit of Antichrist, And you may be wondering, what am I talking about here? Well, the spirit of Antichrist, it, it's the spirit that's at work in the world today. It has been in, in work in the world from the very beginning, but it's the spirit of, it's the devil's resistance against God, against his Christ, and against God's plan for mankind and humanity, right? The left, Um, And I'm not trying to be partisan, guys. I hope you understand that. Um, But but the left, they are statists. What does that mean when I say that, statists? It means that they want big government. They want government to grow, to become stronger, to become more powerful. They believe that government has the answers. Government is the answer, right? And you see, statism is man-centric. You understand? We're going to solve the problems. We have what it takes. We're the ones who will fix everything. Man, we are going to be in control. Do you remember the Tower of Babel? God commanded us in Genesis chapter one to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, told us to go out all across the earth and and replenish it. But man disobeyed God and concentrated in Babel and wanted to build a tower up to heaven. You can see this man trying to be God. That's what statism actually is. It's the spirit of antichrist behind it. That's why in the end, the antichrist himself, that man who is possessed of Satan, will build a one world empire, right? And will dominate the world scene and will declare himself to be God. It's all of the same spirit. Nazis, communists, Muslims, they all believe in a government of absolute power, including control over what people think, believe, and say. All of them believe that, okay? Now, the, you may not left, you may be a leftist, but not a communist, I get that, but it's just a sliding scale, that's all. It's just a matter of degree. The, the spirit of antichrist that is at work in causing you to admire leftist principles and policies, is the same spirit that is motivating the communists. You're just not there yet, that's all, okay? So why do they not like Israel? Why do they prefer Muslims and Arabs over Jews? And the reason very simply is because the Jewish people, the Jewish people represent spiritual truths. They represent an idea. I'm not saying all Jews are spiritual and I'm not saying all Jews are even observant. But I'm saying the Jewish people as a whole represent God's covenant with Abraham. They they represent the idea that God exists. They represent the idea that God has given mankind His Word. The Jews are the custodians of the Bible, you understand that, they're the ones that brought us the Bible. They represent the idea that we are accountable to God as human beings, we're created and accountable to Him, that we're not free to do anything we want in this world, that not everyone is chosen for salvation, only those who believe. These are the ideas that are embodied in the Jewish people, whether they realize it or not. And the spirit of Antichrist sees that, the spirit hates it, it resents it, and it wants to destroy it. You see, the Jewish people also represent God's plan in the earth. When I talked about the role of Israel in end time prophecy a few episodes ago, I showed you how that in the Bible God is not finished with the Jewish people, right, and that all Israel will be saved, and that God is going to bring into, He's going to to complete the process of saving the Gentiles and saving the Jews, and, and we will all be one new man in Christ when Jesus comes and sets up His throne. And Satan knows this. He knows at least that God's covenant is is uh, that the Jewish people are a critical aspect of that covenant and he wants to destroy them for that purpose. So, Revelation chapter 12 gives us a picture of this. Revelation chapter 12. It says there, uh, well, first off in the beginning of it, uh, the Apostle John describes a vision. He says he saw a woman with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Uh, yeah, great wonder in heaven—a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. So many Christians and Bible scholars have wondered over time, what is this image? Who is this woman? I personally think it's very clear who it is. It's it's Israel. Uh, it's the nation of Israel. Um, it's the it, uh, it's the Jewish people, right? Because the nation of Israel. Remember when Joseph had his dream, Joseph the son of Jacob, and he described, uh, he even saw his mother and father bowing down to him, and he described them as the sun and the moon, right? <laughs> so, with this picture of, the, of Israel itself being a woman fits with many different um, metaphors in scripture, but it goes on to say that this woman gave birth to a child, gave birth to a child and the child would rule the nations with a rod of iron. Let's look at verse three um, and four. Go on to verse. Yeah. Okay. The woman was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And then in verse five, She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up unto God to his throne. Well that, so, so this woman is either Mary or Israel and it can't be Mary because of the other things that are said here in this passage about her. So, uh, let's begin reading after she gives birth to Jesus Christ. The Bible says when the, uh, in verse 13, When the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, where she, was, she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out uh, of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This picture is saying that Satan When he was cast out of heaven, right, Jesus said before he went to the cross, he said, um, now the prince of this world is cast out, all right? When he died and was raised from the dead, Satan was cast out of of heaven and Satan became very wroth, right, and he began to attack the Jewish people. The Romans were sent against them and conquered them and destroyed Jerusalem and they were taken captive into all uh, nations of the Roman Empire principally in Europe And so you you see here in in, in, uh, Revelation 12 where it says that the woman went into the wilderness, right? I believe that's a picture of that captivity, that dispersion, right? And then it says that Satan opened up his mouth as a flood, water as a flood after her. I believe that's the persecution of the Jews that happened for 1900 years with pogroms and other things, uh, the Inquisition, and then culminating in the Holocaust in Germany where Satan was trying to exterminate the Jewish people, right? But what does it say there in Revelation 12? It says, the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the flood. You see, God raised up the, the, the righteous nations of the earth and we sent armies to Europe and defeated the Nazis and, and rescued the remnant of the Jewish people. And then the, uh, the nation of Israel was rebirthed in, Pal- in what was called Palestine in the Holy Land and the Jews have been returning to the Holy Land ever since. You can see these scriptures fulfilled in front of our very eyes today. So, but the bottom line for what I'm trying to tell you today is that this anti-Semitism we're seeing, it is the spirit of antichrist that's trying to destroy God's plan in the earth. You saw how Satan once um, uh, then turned toward the, the, her seed, who have the testimony of Jesus Christ, that's Christians. And so now Christians have have been undergoing unprecedented persecution in the last few years. More Christians have died for their faith uh, last year, the year before, um, than in all of world history combined, I believe. So uh, we can see the Bible playing out right in front of us, guys. The second reason, though, for anti-Semitism is simply envy, envy. Why are Democrats more anti-Semitic than conservatives? Why are leftists a home for anti-Semitism? And one of the reasons is, is envy. People look at the prosperity of the Jewish people and they resent it. They have for, for uh, hundreds of years. Uh, Jewish people don't stay down. They don't stay in poverty. They don't stay downtrodden. They will find a way to prosper. And it results from, their prosperity results from, a ble- from the blessing, really. The blessing on Abraham and his descendants. And it results on their, uh, to the extent that they follow the word of God. We Christians enjoy that same blessing. Okay. But uh, this, en- you know, envy, guys, listen to me about envy. Envy is the lifeblood of the Democratic Party today. Now, I'm, n- I'm not trying to be partisan, but I got to speak things the way they are. The Democratic Party of today is a coalition of the offended. That's what it is. You look at this party and who are, who are the constituents of the Democratic Party? It's a group. It's a bunch of groups of people that claim to be oppressed. You have minorities of this stripe or another. Everything from um, you know, blacks to homosexuals to uh, uh, you know Muslims. And they all are claiming, oh, I'm oppressed, I'm oppressed. I need the government. I need the government. And so anti-Semitism rooted in envy, it's, it, the envy looks at others and says, I, I should have what they have, right? This resentment and envy against the Jewish people. Um, their story though, when you look at, at you com- why, do, why do leftists favor the Palestinian cause over the Israelis? Because the Palestinians, the Palestinians, uh, they're alleged victims, aren't they, right? They're alleged victims. And so the leftists feel a kindred spirit with them. Oh, they're, they're, they, and, and the leftists feel alienated from the Jewish story because the Jewish story is one of hard work, determination, and trust in God. They took the land that was called Palestine before Israel was reborn as a nation, which was basically a desolate place. It was a desert. There was nothing there worth having, right? That Jerusalem was nothing of a city. It was, it was desolate. You could just look at the photographs. And the Jewish people have transformed that land into a garden, into a lush place with pr- incredibly productive farmland and all kinds of, um, you know, productive industry and technology and all kinds of wonderful things. So, the left looks at that and they don't like it. They resent it because it runs against their victim mentality, their victim narrative. And the third reason why the leftists are, uh, tend to be anti-Semitic more than others is just plain pure bigotry. Uh, this, of course, doesn't explain their, why it's on the left rather than the right, but human beings, tend to, we tend to not like things and people that are different from us that we don't understand. And so, sometimes people see the Jewish people and they have different clothing sometimes and different customs and different holidays and different uh, spelling of their names and, and they seem different and so we resent them, right? Uh, that's just plain old bigotry. Um, and we're all guilty of that from time to time. But th- that's my view of it, at least. Hey, let's shift gears here. By the way, if, and I wanna start talking about some good news. Uh, you know, I said, I think we are in the in the beginnings of a great awakening and a revival that is happening. And I wanna just share some, some things in the news that I'm seeing today. I'm becoming more convinced of this all the time. Um, And if you've got questions or comments, I want you to call in today. I'd love to hear from you, 719-619-2341. But hey, listen, I saw a news article about Donald Trump and that he has actually expanded his lead over Joe Biden in the uh, presidential race of 2024. Uh, There was a new poll that was done. Uh, This one was the Harvard Caps Harris survey. So Harris, no relation, is uh, a well-established polling company. Of course, with Harvard behind it and Caps, you know, these are not conservative organizations. Uh, But this poll showed uh, that uh, Donald Trump is currently leading Biden among these voters 46 percent to 41 percent. That's pretty good. That's five percent. And that is increased from the the same poll that was taken in September where he was up 44 to 40 percent. So he's gone from four to five percent. And then if you put in uh, John, um, excuse me, Robert F. Kennedy, Jr. Now, Robert F. Kennedy, Jr. was running as a Democrat challenging Joe Biden. He has since switched his party affiliation from Democrat to Independent, And it's going to be real interesting to see how that plays out. But this poll showed that in a three-way race with uh, Trump versus Biden versus Kennedy, that Trump would actually be 39 percent, Biden 33 percent, and Kennedy 9 percent. Uh, well, 9 percent undecided with uh, Kennedy, I think somewhere around 19 percent. So, Kennedy would be taking a few more votes away from Joe Biden than he would be Donald Trump. And uh, that ought to be the case since Kennedy was a Democrat, but, but uh, that's, that's good news for conservatives. Uh, we have yet to see what's going to happen with Donald Trump legally and whether he will be able to stay in this race, uh, but right now he is clearing away the front runner. Um, his lead is also uh, confirmed by other polls, I think, uh, more left-leaning polls, but that's good news. And I wanted to suggest to you uh, that, you 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 know, that's indicative of something. I think uh, people don't like Joe Biden's incompetence. They don't like the leftist, extreme leftist policies, the trans agenda, uh, the sexualization of children, um, the weakening of the American military and other problems, the inflation that we're experiencing and other stuff like this has got to be a problem. So that's good news. That in and of itself would not be indicative of a revival uh, happening. But let me share some other things with you. Um, There was um, um, a revival meeting in uh, Mississippi uh, this week, last week that resulted in 2000 people giving their lives to Christ. Well, that's a large number, let me tell you. Uh, That's a large number in any event. When you combine that, though, with all the reports that we're seeing recently, uh, you know, the Asbury College revival that happened last spring with um, two, three weeks, I think it went on with hundreds and thousands of students coming to experience that uh, move of God. Um, You know, Auburn in September uh, had hundreds of students get saved and baptized spontaneously at some gospel meeting there on campus. Um, You know, the films like The Jesus Revolution, coming forward and just smashing the box office. Um, You know, I, I just get the sense here at Karis Bible College, our enrollment is through the roof, right? We've set new records on enrollment. I believe that God is moving, and I believe we are in the beginning phases of it, and I believe eyes are opening part of that process of eyes opening, you know, for an individual as well as for a nation is coming to ourselves. In other words, that sort of awakening process. Jesus in Luke chapter 15 talked about the prodigal of the parable son, uh, of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. And it says that the prodigal son, he he asked for his, his inheritance and he went away and Um, He uh, wasted his living on harlots and and gambling and, and, uh, you know, other stuff. And then he joined himself to a citizen of that country um, and uh, was put to work in the swine fields, working with pigs. And he became so hungry that he had to eat the slop that was and the husks that were fed to the pigs. And finally, one day it says that he came to himself. I believe this is happening to America right now. The beginning of the, of the coming to ourselves, of waking up and going, what are we doing? What are we thinking? This is not what we want. This is not who we are. There has got to be a better way. And then when people hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, their eyes begin to open. And so the last thing I wanted to just kind of share with you on this is the, the recent election well, before I go on to that, before I go on to that, uh, a couple more indicators. There was a, a parade in the Dallas area, uh, I think it was over the weekend, of people uh, that were trapped in homosexuality and transgenderism who have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. And these, uh, these uh, sinners, now saints, were, went. Uh, they, they conducted a march, if you will, in a celebration with praise and worship. To give glory to God and to bring awareness to the the power of Jesus Christ to set people free, even homosexuals, that we are not born that people are not born that way, but God can change anybody and He can deliver us from sin. And these these folks marched in Dallas, Texas, to share their testimonies and to talk about uh, the the amazing goodness of God and the power of Jesus Christ. So I'm telling you guys. In the church, we've got to stop watching the 10 Spies Network all the time. And now I know you have to hunt for the good news, but you know, one of the most popular things that we do here on Truth and Liberty is our annual Friday Good Report. So if you're not a subscriber to Truth and Liberty, then you're not getting that good report. But if you'll subscribe, just go to our website, the top right hand corner and click subscribe, share your email and other information with you, with us. And we'll begin sending you our our emails, including the Friday Good Report. And uh, that's one of the most popular things we do is that good report. People just love to see the good news that we are winning, you guys. Um, today, I was teaching in the practical government school at Caris Bible College and uh, uh, we put in a DVD of David Barton's from way back. This DVD was made in 1993. It was really a, kind of everybody got a good chuckle because David was a pretty, pretty young man at the time. And uh, uh, so he looks a lot different today. No offense, Dave, if you're watching, <laughs> you still look good, just, just whiter hair, that's all. So, But David, in this DVD called uh, Keys to Good Government was talking about all the bad stuff that had happened and was going on. And this is in the 1990s. Um, Things like a a child murderer being set free because the prosecutor dared to quote a Bible verse in the courtroom and um, how uh, several other examples that were given. And you know, listen guys, right now, we are living in a post Roe world. Roe versus Wade is overturned. We are saving babies by the thousands now. The United States Supreme Court has turned the corner on the First Amendment. It's no longer doing crazy stuff like saying that you can't have crosses in cemeteries and this sort of thing. You know, the Bladenburg Memorial War Memorial case where a cross erected in a in a cemetery to memorialize the, the, uh, the, the soldiers killed in World War I was ruled constitutional. Public displays of our common faith are permitted now. We are returning back to an original intent interpretation of the United States Constitution. We have more religious liberty in America today than we have had in 40 years. Okay, maybe 50 years. I'm telling you, there are good things happening, good things happening. Um, you know, this, this uh, series called The Chosen, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not necessarily a fan of everything The Chosen does, because I think they do take a lot of liberties. But what is encouraging about The Chosen is how many people are watching it. People want to know about Jesus, and people are encountering Jesus because of this show. And they came out recently and took a stand for Israel. This is good stuff, you guys. God is doing great things, and and far from being uh, teetering on the edge of destruction, I think that God is about to really pour out—not just about to—I think He is pouring out His Spirit on the earth, and we're we're just about to see a breakthrough. I think in our culture and a massive shifting underway. I'm going to talk to you in a minute about the election of Speaker Mike Johnson to the role of Speaker of the House of Representatives, and what a huge cataclysmic event this probably is. And uh, I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, but I want to take a question from one of our callers. Uh, We have uh, Iona from Texas, who's on the line from... And Iona, it says that you are 92 years old and a partner of Andrew Womack Ministries. Praise God, Iona. Thank you for being a partner and thanks for calling into Truth and Liberty. Yes. What's your question today, Iona?
2: Oh, my question is, uh, doesn't this fight with Israel go back to uh, Abraham's um, uh, concubines, uh, Keturah and... Uh, and uh... I had it on the tip of my tongue, and Hagar.
1: Hagar, oh, well, you know, um, I'm not sure about the uh, Keturah part, Iona. Um, I'm not an expert on the genealogy there. You know, we've had Kamal Saleem on the show, and I know he's traced all that stuff out. Uh, uh, Who the descendants of Keturah are, I can't say without looking it up. We could do that right now. Um, Hagar, though, was the mother of Ishmael, And um, I believe that the uh, Ishmaelites, uh, according to Kamal, the Ishmaelites are not the radical uh, Jew-hating Muslims. Um, So, you know, um, I just want to offer that up for your own study. I can't claim to have revelation on that. I believe that it really uh, goes, there is an ethnic thing to it. There's a there's an orphan spirit, if you will, in the Arab world. Um, the Muslim faith, uh, I think, I the way I look at it, is the Muslim faith capitalizes on that wounded heart, that wounded spirit that is present among Muslim or Arab people. Um, the Arab people, I think, many of them kind of uh, feel sort of that. Uh, offense of not being members of the chosen people and stuff like that and and yet they are descendants, some of them, uh, of Abraham. And so perhaps that is a spirit that gets passed down from Ishmael and, and makes them vulnerable to the deception of a religion like Islam that is rooted in hate and war and destruction. And that says things like, "Oh, the Jews have corrupted the Bible. This is the real Bible, the Quran." Here, you know, a bunch of nonsense like that, and um, so so it is kind of rooted in that. I think perhaps um, I think that that uh, Islam is really the religion. It's a religion of the devil. Um, We could go a long ways down this track. Uh, Islam has a fake messiah called the al-Mahdi, and they believe he's going to return to the earth or come to the earth, and he's going to set up Islam all over the globe. And uh, there's many things about the al-Mahdi that seem to resemble the Antichrist. Uh, And so, some people think that the Antichrist will be viewed as the Muslims, as their Mahdi, their Savior, their Messiah. And maybe he's going to be imposing that religion. That's a possibility. I can't say that's not true. So, so these things are all interconnected, aren't they? You know, um, Israel's history, the offense of the Arab people, Islam, uh, the Antichrist, the hatred of Jesus, the hatred of the Jews, yes, it's all connected. The truth is though, there's only two mountains. There's only two mountains. There's Mount Sinai and there's Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the mountain of grace. The mountain of promise, the mountain of God, Mount Sinai is the mountain of the law, the mountain of man, man's effort to be to get to God, right? And and Mount um, Mount Zion uh, is blessed, and um, uh, you know the the mountain of, of the law is is where you are cursed, right? So uh, there's only two two camps here. And in the end of days, when Jesus comes, he'll divide the world in the, na- the sheep nations and goat nations. Uh, and uh, those who who love God, love truth, follow Jesus Christ and those who don't. So uh, in that sense, it's all, all connected. Iona, thank you for your call. I really appreciate it. We are up against our second break here. So I'm going to take a minute and a half and we're going to share some announcements with you and I'll be right back after that.
2: created with a purpose, written in the heart of God, long before you were born. He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience his unconditional love, to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer.
0: Have you been praying about how to make your business your mission field? GospelTruth.tv Business features leadership and financial stewardship training from industry experts. Learn the next steps to building wealth and using it to grow God's kingdom. Tune in Saturdays to GospelTruth.tv Business and watch anytime with GospelTruth.tv Premium. Visit Gospel Truth TV today for biblical teaching you can trust.
1: Hello everybody, I'm back here, Richard Harris on the Truth and Liberty live call-in show. This is our final segment and I'm just really Uh, Excited and honored to be able to share with you today. So what we're doing in today's program is I'm just taking some current events and sharing a biblical perspective on them. And uh, we started off by talking about Israel. And, uh, you know, a couple, uh, maybe last week it was, I I taught in the program on the role of Israel in end-time prophecy. And today I wanted to start off by talking about this conflict in Israel. Is it the beginning of World War III? Is it gonna be, end up in Armageddon and so on? Uh, But then we talked about anti-Semitism. Where does anti-Semitism, come from and why is it that leftists tend to be anti-Semitic more than conservatives do? And we identified it. it's really the spirit of Antichrist that's at work in the world. In the world, it's it's also rooted in a, in envy, uh, and then finally it's just pure bigotry. But but a, the spirit of Antichrist is the main primary uh, reason behind it. Otherwise, it just defies explanation. And then uh, I, I started sharing with you that there is some that we are really in an awakening. That an awakening has begun. A turnaround has begun, and it is God is pouring His spirit out on the earth. People are waking up just like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 who came to himself. I believe Americans are coming to themselves now, not just America, but around the world as people are waking up and realizing this is not the right way to go. And so if you've got questions, there's still time for you to get them get them in today. Just call our number 719-619-2341. Hey, I wanted to mention too, if you need prayer today, Andrew's prayer ministers are standing by 24 uh, seven to pray with you, to agree with you in, in prayer. And that number is 719-634. 11, 11, and uh, you can call in anytime, day or night, and someone will agree with you in prayer. All right, well, some of the best news I've seen in a long time uh, is coming out of Washington, D.C., uh, where we have a brand new speaker of the House of Representatives. Okay, so if you've been watching the news, then you know that uh, three weeks ago, uh, Representative Matt Gates of Florida and eight other I think it was eight uh, Republicans conservative Republicans joined together they made a motion uh, to uh, to undo the you know, n- you know for a new speaker election and and they then voted with all the Democrats in the house to and they carried the majority and so Kevin McCarthy was voted out as being Speaker of the House Matt Gates was upset with McCarthy because of his centralist we command control leadership style and his, uh, his passing of the omnibus, omnibus spending bill and some other things I guess uh, maybe it wasn't an omnibus but a, a spending package that was wasteful and excessive and he just had had enough. Now whether you like Matt Gates or not I don't know but it, many people thought wow this is an incredible thing that he just did extremely risky and I thought so even honestly at the time I thought wow uh, this could not go well. It may." up with the democrats uh, being in control if rhino left-wing republicans join with them and we end up with a a terrible speaker who's left-wing compromiser this could be really bad gates i hope you know what you're doing well, so, so we went through over the last three weeks, several speaker, uh, speaker attempts by the Republicans to elect a new speaker. I believe it began with, uh, uh, Steve Scalise was nominated. He won a majority of Republican votes. So the Republicans nominated him, but he couldn't get to enough Republican votes to get a majority of all representatives in the house. And he ended up having to back out. Something that was pretty surprising to people because Scalise was the number two guy. I think he was the majority leader in the House. So next it went to Jim Jordan, who was a really uh, well-regarded uh, conservative, a, a strong leader. I think chairman of the Judiciary Committee. And and Jordan uh, also was nominated. And then when he got to the end, he didn't have enough votes to get a majority of all the members of the House. Remember, the Republicans only had like a, a a four to six seat majority to begin with, so almost every Republican had to vote for these guys, and they didn't. They ended up, they kept in coming, you know, anywhere between 15 and 30 votes short, short among the Republicans. So I'm this time just wondering what's going on with these Republicans. Why aren't they voting for these nominees? Maybe they're liberal Republicans or or rhinos, as we call them, who who really aren't aren't liking these conservative uh, nominees. And so Jordan has to pull back, and then uh, the the there's talk about uh, the temporary speaker Representative McHenry actually uh, being put forward, but but that doesn't really happen. Finally, the Republicans um, push forward uh, uh, Tom Emmer of Minnesota, who is a liberal Rhino. Most people would say he's it's not a fair to him to call him a Rhino. He's a he's. He doesn't agree with conservatives on lots of social issues. Let's just say that, okay? So he's a Republican from Minnesota. I think he's third in line in the House. So he's, he's not the, uh, the majority leader, but he's probably the majority whip or something like that. Emmer uh, also uh, uh, gets the nomination, but he gets to the end, and it's doubtful that he's gonna have enough votes. Okay, so here's what happens, and this, Uh, is, I think, the hand of God. Emmer, um, so in in each one of these phases along the way, former Speaker McCarthy is pledging his support for these nominees, right? But somehow when it gets down to the finish line, these guys are not getting enough votes, right? And so they get down to Emmer and they're in the conference room where all the Republicans are meeting. And uh, we, the things that I'm about to tell you, I know because Matt Gates has reported this. He, he, he went on a special podcast of the War Room with Steve Bannon, and he said um, that all the Republicans are meeting. It looks like Emmer's going to come up short. And before they, they uh, uh, go through the whole process, Representative Mark Marlinaro of New York, a freshman Republican, asked that. Hey, why don't, um, uh, in, so I think what happened was Emmer backed out, and so instead of the next guy in line being nominated, which was Mike Johnson of Louisiana, Molinaro says, hey, before we go through all this, why don't we just take a real quick uh, non-binding poll to see what the support is gonna be like, okay? Uh, Representative Stefanik says, you can't do that, it's against the rules, the rules require a formal roll call vote. So Molinaro says, well, how about if we uh, vote by unanimous consent to waive the rules so that we can take this poll? So they can actually vote if it's unanimous to suspend the rules, to do something that's against the rules. (laughs) Isn't that great, only in Washington. But Molinaro makes this suggestion to take what's basically a voice vote to suspend the rules, so they can go, they can dispense with, to see if there's enough uh, support for Mike Johnson, so that they know whether to go through the whole rigmarole of formally trying to get him elected, and because there's a several-step process, and. So they, they take, uh, well, they're about to take this voice vote, this uh, 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 unanimous consent voice vote to suspend the rules and all of a sudden one person in the entire Republican conference, that's 220 Republicans, stands up and objects. And you know who it was? It was Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> Kevin McCarthy objects to this informal procedure and all of a sudden he's standing there in this room and every Republican suddenly realizes what has been going on. That Kevin McCarthy has actually been working behind the scenes, even though in public he pledges his support for these nominees, behind the scenes he's got a cadre of loyal Repub- people loyal to him Who he's saying, okay guys, when it comes down to the vote, you're, not, you're gonna, gonna withhold your vote, vote no against Scalise, vote no against Jim Jordan, vote no against Tom Emmer. And remember all of these guys, Emmer, Jordan, Scalise worked under McCarthy. They were his assistants, if you will, in the house. And he's he's scuttling their nominations secretly behind the scenes. Suddenly the entire Republican conference realizes this. And uh, the next thing you know, Um, They go, uh, they go to a formal roll call vote and um, what happens is Mike Johnson then, um, after a three hour delay to go through all the formalities, Mike Johnson calls for a formal roll call vote to expose those people. There were 43 write-ins, 43 Republicans voted for McCarthy in the first round of voting for Johnson. Johnson then votes, or he then calls for a, um, a roll call vote, which means you go name by name down the list and say, what's your vote? What's your vote? What's your vote? These guys that were behind the scenes working as McCarthy's a cadre to scuttle all these nominations. Why did McCarthy want to do this? He wanted to do it so that the Republicans would be left with the idea of, well, there's no one else who can bring us together than Kevin McCarthy, so we've got to put him back in power. But when Johnson calls for this roll call vote, where they go name by name down the list of Republicans and ask, who who are you voting for? The 43 that had cast their ballot for McCarthy switched and voted for Mike Johnson because they didn't want to be called out. They didn't want to be seen as McCarthy's uh, guys doing his dirty work behind the scene. And all of a sudden, Mike Johnson emerges with a unanimous vote of all Republicans in the House of Representatives. And he's elected the Speaker of the House. Now, why am I excited about this? Why this is like the way that it unfolded, first of all, is like a Haman and Mordecai kind of thing. The whole scheme that McCarthy was using and hatching in order to destroy all of these good men who were trying to become the next speaker got turned around and destroyed him because now everybody in the House knows he was the one that was dragging things out and making the Republicans look bad and causing the chaos when America is in a crisis facing a war in Israel. He was doing it for his own selfish reasons. But the other reason is because we as conservative, Christian, patriotic American constitutionalists could not ask for a better leader than Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson is one of us. He is a strong believer in Jesus Christ. When he went to the speaker's rostrum to give his acceptance speech and to be sworn in, he took his Bible with him. When the unanimous vote was taken in the conference room among the Republicans, he called for um, uh, the press to be invited into the room. And then before they started asking questions, he led the entire room, Republicans and reporters, in a moment of prayer before any questions began. In his speech that he gave at the rostrum, accepting the nomination, he referred to God many times and to God-given rights, to the Declaration of Independence, to our heritage as Americans. Mike Johnson is a is a friend of David Barton at Wall Builders one of our uh, main allies and members of the board of directors here at Truth and Liberty David Barton and his son Tim are on the show all the time he helped us birth the practical government school uh, Ron or uh, Mike Johnson speaks at David Barton's uh, pastors event every year in Washington DC they are Uh, they know each other very well. This, guys, is an incredible development. Mike Johnson um, is a constitutional lawyer, used to fight for religious liberty and uh, for the rights of the unborn before he even became, got into politics. I tell you what, guys, we, we ought to be praising God and thanking God today because of the election of Mike Johnson, and he's already proving this. He went, on, he went on Sean Hannity yesterday and Hannity asked him, you know, about his opinions on things. And he said, if you want to know where I stand, just pick up your Bible, take your Bible off the shelf and read it. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be my worldview is the Bible. This is what our new Speaker of the House said. So praise God. See, I don't think God's done with America. There's too much good stuff going on. God is setting the table for the destruction of his enemies here in this country. I believe it. I believe great things are coming. So that's kind of my spiel for you today, my my speech for you. Um, And there's a lot more I could talk about as far as good news. You know, the state of Colorado passed a law um, this year saying that pregnancy resource centers could no longer give women who had taken the first abortion pill, they could no longer make them aware of or give them um, abortion reversal pill. So women who are changing their minds, you, the Colorado tried to outlaw the ability of pregnancy resource centers to help them. So you can't give them, and all the pill is, is uh, I think it's uh, progesterone, yeah. But if you give a woman uh, who's taken the first abortion pill, remember the abortion pill is, a, it gives a woman hormones to expel that baby, And the and the it's two pills. But if you give her progesterone in a specific dosage after the first pill, uh, then most of the time, is my understanding, uh, that baby uh, will not be aborted by the woman's body. And so Colorado is so in love with abortion that they won't even let pro-life centers give that medication out. Well, a Colorado judge, a federal judge, Judge Domenico in the District of Colorado, ruled this week uh, that. Uh, It's a temporary injunction, but he blocked the enforcement of that law. Now, that fight is not over, but that is a really important development. So see, there's good news all over the place. Joe Kennedy, Coach Kennedy, Roe versus Wade, this abortion thing being stopped, a new Speaker of the House who's a strong conservative Christian uh, constitutional originalist, a Reagan Republican. You know, it goes on and on. So, um, but I want to take a breath here and also encourage you guys. We got 15 minutes left in the show. Call in with your questions, 719 619 2341 or your comments. I want to go to Robert now, who's on the line uh, calling in from Florida. Robert, thank you so much for calling, brother. What is your question today?
2: Hi, Richard. Um, I was listening to your take on Israel, and I, everything looks positive from your, your view of what you were sharing. And I agree with you. Um, I looked at uh, Ezekiel 38, uh, 13, verse 13, says that the young lions of Tarshish, these are the uh, people from this country who are promoting prosperity with holding hands with Israel. I think that is a a prophecy that is America in the the Bible. Hmm. If that is, which I think it is, it looks really good because this coalition that um, could possibly start up with against Israel, you know, all the countries surrounding Israel, you know, the people in the tents of Edom over there in Palestine. And, you know, once it starts up, uh, Israel's, you know, they're number 10 in the, in the world. They can they can, you know, obviously plan ahead to uh, win win a victory because there's a lot of land involved. They haven't taken it. They should take it. And. If the coalition um, is as successful as it you know, could be, and it probably will be, because God's going to be in it with the IDF, I think America should be poised to look better than it ever has before, because I want your opinion. Do you think, Richard, that America, if we, instead of help push them into the ocean, we, the next administration should be involved, like the one we have, to hold hands with Israel and see this nation blessed and prospered like we haven't seen in the past 75 years, close to when Israel was a state. I'm looking at that and being very hopeful, you know, seeing righteous yeah. joy and peace well, uh, for the body of believers. What do you think?
1: Well, it's a, it's a really interesting question, Robert. I'm not sure. Um, this, this situation with Israel could go, I think it could go one of three ways. Uh, the first way is that this could be the beginning of the end. It could be that I'm misunderstanding prophecy and it could be that this escalates to a point um, that becomes uh, the the opportunity for the invasion of the massive army from the east that's prophesied in the book of Revelation. You know, Revelation in, um, I believe it is in um, um, chapter 6 verse 12 says, that the, uh, the Euphrates River will dry up. God sends forth, an or pour, one of the vials is poured out. I think it's the sixth vial is poured out and the river Euphrates dries up, uh, Revelation uh, 6, 12. Well, the Euphrates River is actually drying up right now. Um, so, that's that's a really ac- incredible sign. If it continues to dry up, uh, you know, it's one of those things where we have to say the end is close. This was the sixth, uh, the sixth vial there. Um, making a way for the kings of the east is what it says. And then, you know, Revelation chapter 9 verse 16 prophesies about a 200 million horseman army uh, that kills one third of the earth uh, coming from the east and invading the land. Um, So, could this be the beginning of that? Well, it could be, okay? I don't think it is though because of the reasons I already stated that there's other, Uh, pieces of this puzzle that aren't, don't seem to be in place yet. Okay. So option number two, option number two would be that uh, this will uh, result in uh, a conflict that is protracted um and and large in scale but is not the final invasion of the army you know the battle of Armageddon but what might result from this is that it's a it's an opportunity where the satan puts the antichrist onto the scene and he brings about the peace that is spoken of that i talked about earlier and it is results in the beginning of the 7 years of the great tribulation and then the invasion of the 200 million man army at the end in the battle of Armageddon is at the end of the tribulation, that is possible. So that's that's possibility number two. Uh, possibility number three is that this will be a successful war that Israel will prosecute and that um, it will usher in a time of, of know, uh, you know, uh, relative stability in Israel, and uh, that you know the United States also will enter into a new fresh season of prosperity and re-emergence as the global superpower and so on. Um, th- though that possibility, I just, I'm just i not 100% sure whether it's number two or number three, that's kind of how I look at it. So uh, we just have to see how things unfold here, and uh, we need to keep Israel in our prayers, of course, our own leaders in our prayers, and uh, that's entirely uh, the, the third option is a possibility where the United States helping Israel uh, just, you know, is really successful in this war. And, um, you know, uh, we're just going to have to see, though, because no one can tell the future. Does that does that help you with that, uh, Robert? Yes, it does. The missing piece
2: that I'm looking at is the Psalm 83, uh, you know, verse one through eight. I think the Psalm, that's the missing piece of the puzzle. And if it is, then I think like you just said, it's gonna make America and and Israel much stronger and better.
1: Well, I think, um, I do think America is going to experience a rebound here uh, uh, soon. Um, And uh, that we are going, that God's grace is on us. He's not finished with our country. Uh, We have a purpose to play in winning the world to Christ. And that, uh, God's not done with that yet. That's my personal opinion. Uh, How long that window is, I have no idea. Um, I believe it's at least three years. Could it be longer? It could uh, Could be 30 years, could be 300 years. I mean, we don't know, Uh, but but, uh, you know, that's my guess. So we all need to look up for our redemption draweth nigh. We need to watch and be ready. Uh, Jesus needs to be number one in our heart and in our mind at all times. We need to actively be winning souls to Christ and uh, just uh, be rejoicing because uh, God's got a great future for us. All right, Robert. Well, thanks for calling in, sir. I uh, appreciate the question very much. I'd like to take um, um, another few minutes to talk. Go back to talking about Speaker Johnson because I want everybody to to get on your your internet on your computer and go to his website. I didn't write the website down, but I think if you if you Google uh, Mike Johnson or Congressman Mike Johnson, you should find his website pretty quickly. It's his personal website not personal, but his website is, as, a, as a Congressman, not the Speaker of the House. But he's got on there, he's got seven core principles of conservatism, seven core principles. I wanna to recommend to all of our viewers today that you read those seven core principles of conservatism. Uh, this is written by Mike Johnson, right? He wrote it, he put it together. I think it was in 2018 he put this on his website. This tells you what his belief system is. So this, the, the man who's second in line for the presidency of the United States, the head of the People's House in America, in incredible amounts of influence, believes in, and I'm gonna list out the seven core principles. He believes in individual freedom. He believes in limited government. He believes in the rule of law, praise the Lord. He believes in peace through strength, fiscal responsibility, free markets, and human dignity. You know, he, he, it's amazing. He sounds like a combination of David Barton and Ronald Reagan. And uh, I'm just really excited about this. I think it's an amazing, amazing development. So let me see, uh, we've got some questions here online that people have submitted. Uh, let me look at, take a look at these. I think there's a, a, a couple of good ones here. The, um, the first one says, um, will the U.S. send troops to Israel to aid in the fight? Um, I, I don't think that's going to be necessary. Uh, the only, uh, it could be, um, so I think that there are. We, we talk about Hamas and Hezbollah having armies. They really don't have highly trained armies like Israel and the United States do, or extremely well-equipped armies. They have, you know, these hordes of people with uh, AK-47s and, and rocket launchers and, and grenades. And then, they, but you know, Hezbollah has hundreds of thousands of, of rockets and, and uh, missiles, so they could they could definitely unload on Israel. The question is whether Israel needs us to send boots on the ground. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we already had uh, advisors and special force units uh, in Israel. Uh, But beyond that, I doubted if the United States would commit uh, regular troops like a Marine battalion or, uh, or something like that. It could happen, um, but it's unlikely, I think. I don't think Israel needs us to do that. What Israel needs is it probably needs weapons supplies, it needs intelligence, and it probably needs air support and potentially naval support. The role of the United States here primarily is to be a check against other countries joining the war. So if that were to happen, let's say that Turkey sent troops or, or uh, Iran or uh, Jordan or, or one of these nations were to send troops, then it might be necessary for the U.S. to step in and help Israel out. All right, so that is a possibility. Um, okay, here's a question online. This viewer wants to know, will Israel completely eradicate Hamas uh, entirely? And I'm going to say Israel is talking about that, and they're saying they're going to. But this, this thing, Hamas is just the latest organization. It's not even the latest, it's just one terrorist organization. Uh, you know, we, we eradicated Al Qaeda, we eradicated ISIS. But you, you get rid of, you cut off the heads of these organizations, but it doesn't change the fact that radical uh, fundamentalist Islam in the mosques around all over the Middle East and really all over the world is teaching what the Quran says, which is the duty to commit jihad, and to kill the infidels, and to drive out the unbelievers. And so, as long as Muslims are doing this in their mosques and around the world, you're going to have radicalized Muslims, Muslims who want to kill Jews and Christians. And so the supply of this hatred of this devilish doctrine that's producing these killers is going to continue. It's not a problem that can be dealt with by saying, oh, we're going to eradicate Haras. Well, Hamas, well, you still have all these other groups uh, and and groups in other countries. And these people are going to be able, a lot of them will, will be able to flee elsewhere. So uh, you know Hamas may just change its name they do that as well sometimes when they when they're about to be defeated they'll just go underground and emerge in some other form later so um, unfortunately this is the burden that Israel has in this day and in this hour uh, and it's not going to go away unless we win all the Muslims to Christ so um, let's let's go about trying to do that shall we All right. Hey, we've got a question uh, with two minutes uh, left in the program coming in from a caller. Frank from Missouri is on the line. Uh, Frank, thank you for calling. What's your question today, brother?
2: Yeah, good. You know, I know you're a prophecy buff from listening to you. I I just want to know your take on like Hosea chapter six verses 1 to 3 that says the the first day uh, he's torn us uh, he'll heal us the second day he'll revive us and the third day he'll ra- no the second day he'll raise us up and the third day uh, he'll cause us to live in your presence
1: um, that's a good question Frank um, uh, you know I, I frankly don't. I haven't studied that uh, in depth, and I'm not going to try to express an opinion on it. I, I believe that it's um, it, it, it's poetic. It looks like it's probably poetic in nature, and uh, uh, it, it could be a uh, what I would call prophetic illusion, not illusion, but illusion, he could be alluding to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's what I'm, I'm looking at it as. So, it says, uh, let us return unto the Lord for he hath torn, who did he tear? He tore Jesus, and he tore Jesus on our behalf. And it says, he will heal us, he hath smitten, who did he smite? He smote Jesus, and he will bind us up. So, it doesn't, it says after two days, will he revive us, so revive means to be, come back to life. And in the third day, he will raise us up. So Jesus was raised on the third day, wasn't he? So Jesus was revived after two days and on the third day. And so that's probably a prophetic allusion to the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's gonna be my take on it. There could be some, um, something more specific there. Uh, in the context or like with regard to uh, uh, Jewish feasts and things like that that might help us understand it. But that's that's my take on it. Hey, Frank, thanks for calling in, brother. I've only got 20 seconds left, so I'm going to have to let you go. Uh, thank you to all of you for watching today's program. You are a blessing. Thanks for being a member, all of you Truth and Liberty members, and for subscribing to Truth and Liberty. God is doing great things and He wants to use you to do it. So uh, be sure to tune in next time on Monday to Truth and Liberty's live calling show at 3.30 Mountain Time. God bless you. We'll see you then. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch
0: today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net. donate Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.